You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. We've been looking at the breastplate of righteousness as a series. Paul tells the Ephesians and all Christians through that letter that we are to put on the full armour of God. And I've spent three weeks talking about that and I'm going to spend a couple, couple more sessions just dwelling on the whole concept of righteousness. Don't know if everything I've said is what Paul had in mind when he said the breastplate of righteousness, but I'm just teasing out ideas to do with righteousness under that kind of um, umbrella term, breastplate of righteousness. feel it's very important for us as a church and as Christians to uh, recognise and understand that we are part of a spiritual battle and sometimes when things go wrong and things don't work out, sometimes there are natural explanations and sometimes things go wrong because of our own stupid fault. But there are times where stuff happens and sometimes you just get a sense that, do you know what, I'm under attack right now because I know I'm moving into the things that God is calling me into and the enemy is real and he's not happy about what's happening. So um, we spent some time in January and February in, on the Sundays talking about the belt of truth. So in our first week on this particular series, we had an overview on the belt of truth, but we also talked about why a breastplate is needed, how the breastplate guards the heart and the internal organs, which um, for Greeks and Hebrews very often were um, symbolic of the, the gut feelings that we have and, and of our emotions. And those do need guarding. We need to keep a check on how we're feeling and um, we need a breastplate. And for some reason, Paul talks about that breastplate as one of righteousness so we talked about that and the second week we talked about the righteousness of God I thought it was important to define what righteousness means and we said that it's walking a straight line without diversion it's uh, strict adherence to a law and we said that God is automatically righteous by definition he is uh, we talked about absolute righteousness which means he just can't deviate from it because of his perfection he can't move from being righteous just he is absolute righteousness he is righteousness personified um, he can't um, divert from the laws he, he, he doesn't follow the laws because there's some other higher being that created them and he's a good God he the laws are an expression of who he is in his own righteousness so we talked about absolute righteousness and then relative righteousness means compared with, <coughs> with our moral failings and however good we are we're never um, totally righteous so relative to if we tied together all the good deeds that every human being has ever done um, throughout all of history around the whole world and all the good deeds that every human being will ever do and add them all together it's and, and subtracted all the bad stuff it still wouldn't match the righteousness of God because he is relatively holy he's awesome so we talked about how that shows itself through his faithfulness through his compassion and he is even righteous through judgment because he does things right and it's not right that sin is unpunished so he has to do things the right way and so even when it comes to saving us he doesn't just save us by saying yeah, I'm going to let you off you can come into heaven he has to punish sin and even through salvation he acts out of righteousness and punishes or punished Jesus on our behalf which led us on to the third week which taught us all about righteousness by faith and first of all I started by talking about righteousness by the law and how difficult it was. I said, can anyone remember how many laws I said, or 
you may already have known. Um, the Jews traditionally say that there are in the Old Testament. 613. Brilliant. 613, traditional number for, you can count them in different ways, but the traditional view is that there are 613. Excellent. Um, and to follow all of them is impossible and to break one of them is tantamount to breaking all of them because you're no longer good enough and so we need our righteousness through Christ. Christ lived a perfect life and died in our place, took our punishment and that's where we get our righteousness from. So important because it's so easy to slip into works based salvation. Even as Christians who believe all this stuff there's some sort of psychological trait in most of us that tries to be a good person in order to earn favour with God, in order to earn credit from God and it's faith that's credited to us as righteousness. It's our faith in Jesus and so then I ask the question which leads into this session, well, if God has given us all of that righteousness, why do we have to put on a breastplate? It's been imparted or imputed, if you like, to us, and we don't need to kind of work to be righteous. Well, that's absolutely true. If, if I go out and um, knock a granny over off a buggy and swear at her, um, I'm still declared righteous by God because... Um, my sin is forgiven and because I've done that and I'm a Christian I feel awful I don't know why I'd have done that but I'm just trying to think of an example of of the moment Um, I would say sorry in any way I'd I'd be forgiven if we confess our sins he is faithful to forgive us I'm righteousness not because I've done good things or because I've not done bad things I'm righteous because of the way Christ has saved me and my good works flow out of that and that's what I want to talk about tonight so I'm calling it practical righteousness. We ended last week by saying you must be reckoned perfect before you can make any headway in becoming good and I I love that phrase when I first heard it because it sounds like nonsense. It's almost like a riddle and it's John Piper who's a famous preacher at the moment in America. He's been used widely by God and um, said some amazing things. You must be reckoned perfect. I like the word reckon because it was credited to us as righteousness. The righteous live by faith. So it's credited to us by our faith that we are declared righteous. And once we've received that righteousness in Christ, then out of that flows good works. That's when we start being good. If we try and get it the other way around, we're just slipping into false religion, which doesn't work. So today I've got four little areas. They're not that long, I promise Although there's quite a bit of scripture to read, I just want us to just let the scripture speak for itself, although I will talk a bit about it inevitably. Um, Spirit-led works, righteous living, we want to talk about elevation God's way, I'll explain why at the time, and practical steps to practical righteousness. So where we left off last time taught us that righteousness in Christ is where it all begins, but it's a starting point. We don't get our ticket to heaven and then just stop there. Although actually many Christians I believe do and um, I believe there are what we might call sleeping Christians who, um, sleeping partners even in the gospel if you like, who have got their ticket to heaven, they have given their life to Christ and, and that's all well and good but there, are, there is so much more that Christ has for us and we'll see that in the, in the next scripture that we start to look at. We are made righteous but we still need to put on the breastplate of righteousness and walk out, go into spiritual battle and do great things for the kingdom of God and do some damage to the kingdom of darkness. 
So I think Paul explains this really well in Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read um, a few bits from there and we're going to talk about that as we go. And then I've got another passage I want to talk about um, and we're almost done. So, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So, We were dead in our transgressions. However hard we tried, even if we tried to be a good person, and I know a lot of people I've I've worked with, some Catholic people who I feel are caught up in works, I don't just pick that denomination of Christianity out, but I've just seen that a lot. Um, I've seen it in other churches as well, but there seems to be a very works-based faith going on there. And I've worked with a lot of Muslims who... Um, believe in the same God as us. They believe we're people of the book, but they, they have to earn their way into heaven. They have to do good deeds. There is only one way they can get salvation. That's doing the right stuff, saying the right prayers. And, and to be honest with you, I've found a lot of similarity amongst some devout Muslims who believe God is real and have a love for God because they have a concept of God that he's all loving, all powerful, all you know, benevolent and all those kind of things. And yet just strive to do to earn his favour. And they're dead in their transgressions. And so are we, if that's what we're relying upon for our salvation. We're not righteous outside of Christ's redemptive work. I spoke to one Muslim boy who was 12 and he was, he was talking about the things he believed. And, and he, he happened to be talking about all the same sort of things that I believe about God. When you talk about the general concept of of God, you'll find a lot of commonality and you realise that actually we're, we're up against the world together on many issues politically. And, uh, and he said, Mr Petz, you should become a Muslim. <laughs> and I, I took, looked at him and said, well, you know what I'm going to say, don't you? Um, you're missing out. You need to become a Christian. You need to give your life to Jesus. The only way of um, true righteousness is through Christ's redemptive Work. We are all dead in our transgressions without him. We need a breastplate. We need his righteousness. Now, this verse that we've just read in verse 2 is talking about before we were Christians. It talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air. It's the same idea that we find where, he, where Paul talks about the spiritual warfare that we we go through and that when we have to put on the full armor we we don't do battle against flesh and blood about against physical human things we're doing battle against things that go on that we can't see with our physical eyes the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient but i want to tell you that he is at work not in us but he's at work against us we need the breastplate of righteousness yes We're protected from the consequences of sin, but we can also walk as Christians, as righteous, we can also walk the wrong path, can't we? I mean, we all know that. We all know we get it wrong at times. Reading on in the same passage, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, 
i.e. not by works so that anyone could boast. And God raises us up with Christ and seated seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You might not feel like that, but that's the consequences of the righteousness that you possess in Christ Jesus. In order that, in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, what's this got to do with practical righteousness? This is going back a step to um, the righteousness that we have in Christ. You're right. And that's why I like this passage, because it finishes off with practical righteousness. He's building up to a point that I want us to lead to as well. For it is by grace you've been saved, not through works, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. I know I'm reading it wrong, but you get the the spirit of it. For we're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to sit on our backsides and enjoy our salvation. Amen. No, it doesn't say that. It says, we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Incredible. I find that amazing, that God has prepared in advance, good works for us to do. In advance of what we read in the earlier verses where we weren't even Christians, we were just following the the ruler of the kingdom of the air, of the dark forces. We were just obedient to to the flesh and to the lusts of the flesh and the thoughts that come from it. We were obedient to all the things that lead us away from God. Even then, God prepared good work for us to do because he knew we were going to accept Jesus. God has a big plan. He knows what's going on. He knows the future. So this idea that I wanted to bring to us this morning, this afternoon, this evening, today, was this idea of spirit-led works. Yes, we don't do works in order to become Christians, but once we become Christians, we ask the Holy Spirit to teach us what is it what you want, what is it that you want us to do? He's he's actually got bespoke works for each of us to do. There's different, there's things that you can do that I can't do in your personality, in your shape, in the, in, the, in the background that you have, in the, the things that the Lord has allowed you to go through, sometimes painful, sometimes joyful. He has put all of that together, and he will, he will piece all of that together. He knew it was going to happen, and he says, you are perfect for this task. John Petz can't do that. I'm going to ask you to do that. But it's our job to seek the Spirit and ask us to do that. Because he, we talked on Sunday, and, and I've, I've said a few times, I've come back to this verse in Hebrews about um, running the race marked out for us. We've all got our own thing to do. We've all got our own track to run on. We can't all go out to Rwanda and help people the way William is. But he can. And that's, he, he really feels the Holy Spirit led, led him to do that. He's not doing it because he wants to earn brownie points with, with Jesus. He's doing it because there's an excitement in it. There's a joy in the journey because he believes God is in it. That's what I mean when I talk about spirit-led work. So the first point amongst that was just that he's, he's, got crea- he's created works for us in advance. He's not going to just look at you and think, oh, right, okay, I see you've moved to Brixham. Uh, I see you've made those mess-ups, and I see you've had that career uh, advice, and so you've taken that path. So I know what I can get you, can get you to do. In advance, he knew you'd be here today, he knew what you'd be doing, and he has works for us to do. And they all complement the kingdom. They all work 
for his glory. That's just one little test as whether or not that is. Where you feel like doing something and you think, well, is this of God or is this not of God? One great test is, well, does it glorify him and does it extend his kingdom? But we'll talk a little bit more about that right at the end. The second thing is that we've got to get this the right way around. And I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm just perhaps saying it for my own benefit as well, that I'm saved first and the works come afterwards. It cannot work the other way around. You get it the other way around, it leads to stress, it leads to burnout, and it leads to works that will just go up in flames because they weren't what you were supposed to do. They might have been good things. They might have been brilliant things. You might have even got accolades from people. But if God didn't ask you to do those things, that means that you've only got so many hours in the day, you weren't able to do the things he wanted to ask you to do, but you were too busy going off doing these good works that weren't your calling, that you weren't able to do the things you should have done, and there would have been an ease in those things and a joy that you're missing out on. So we've got to get the saved first, we've got to listen to the Holy Spirit, and we've got to follow his leading. The third thing in spirit-led works is the idea that what the law teaches is inferior to what the Spirit may whisper. Now the law is good, the law is perfect, the law is holy, but we are told in the New Testament that it, it, was in, it is inferior to the, the covenant that we are in now. So the law will tell me not to murder, the law will tell me not to commit adultery, but the Holy Spirit can give me a whisper to say, go and put your arm around your wife because she's feeling low and she's not letting on. Or the Holy Spirit can just whisper to me, the Lord will tell me to love my neighbour, but the Holy Spirit will teach me how to. He'll give me ideas. He's creative. He'll teach me how I can reach out to people in ways that couldn't be written in the law because we've all got so many different things that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us to do. So important that we're able to listen to that nudge, that inner voice, to that calling and seek advice from others if we think God's speaking to us to do something major but I think day to day the Lord wants to speak to us and just lead us in our day to day life and so often we just don't let him in I'm guilty of it myself so easy just to get back on the old track of just being human human without God so let's listen to him let's not just obey the law blindly and obey the law uh, like good boys and girls let's listen to the Holy Spirit and ask him what else he wants us to do it's incredible what can happen because of it. And the final point on spirit-led works was the idea that working in God's righteousness protects us from pride, distraction and burnout. And I've touched on the idea of burnout already, just saying, just go off doing works, 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 and they're all good. But if it's not in Christ's strength, if it's not uh, done the way that he wants us to, we end up burnt out. Talked about distraction already, how you can get distracted by good things as well as bad things. And pride as well, because we can actually take pride in our good works if we're not careful. Um, but just listening to God, saying, God, I know I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And out of that, I just want to ask you, what is it you want me to do today? I know that I've got a general drift towards my life, but what is it you want me to do today in listening to his Holy Spirit? Second area I wanted to talk about was righteous living. So once we've got this habit of asking God, what is it you want me to do? What are the works that you've got for me? I know I'm your handiwork. I know I'm created for good works that you've created in advance for me to do. But there's kind of a day-to-day, nitty-gritty living that honours God. 
that I'm not discounting by this idea of saying righteousness by faith. There's so much more as well. There's a beautiful chapter in 1 John, chapter 3, and I'm just going to read it and I'm going to say a few things, but I'll be quicker on this. I promise. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or know him, known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. We can see this one phrase in isolation and get the wrong idea. This one phrase that says, the one who does what is right is righteous. What does that sound like? It sounds like righteousness by works, doesn't it? On its own, in isolation, the one who does what is right is righteous. Is that righteousness by works? No. This is not how to become righteous, it's how to identify righteous people. Because he's writing to a church that has got all sorts of people milling around, and it's important to see, we'll know people by their fruits. When you are righteous, you will do good works. It comes out of you, it flows out of you. Like when Anne prayed earlier, she was saying, when we seek you, the more we seek you, the more we just want to do I don't know what she's praying, actually, but it was something about that. Anyway, it sounded great at the time. But when we start to seek you, we just, we just, as we, the closer we get to God, the closer we get to wanting to do good works. We, you, you give us a desire to do those things and a compassion for other people. Um, moving on to verse 9 of 1 John 3, it says, No one who is born of God will continue to sin. Now, I know we do sin. I still sin. You may not believe that because I know I project a very perfect image but at times I sometimes pull a nasty face at the dog I know it's terrible um, and once I even thought about speeding and that's a sin so you know I've blown it I've blown my innocent cover now um, now we're joking aside we do all sin but that doesn't mean this verse is a lie it says in verse 9 no one who is born of God will continue to sin and it doesn't mean I'm not born of God either just because I sin it's this idea of continuous sin as a habit I don't have a lifestyle of sinfulness there's, there's no sin in my life that is habitual and that's the, pro that's, that's the difference if you are born of God, those habits will die off. Sometimes it takes time, sometimes it's difficult, but your heart is for God and your heart is for that sin to be taken away and you don't continue in sin. Yes, sometimes again, sin should be like a, a car crash. It's, it's, it's un, unwanted and it happens now and then, but it shouldn't happen habitually. If you're habitually having car crashes, you need your licence taken off you. In fact, you haven't passed the test, so you're not a driver. Um, just to try and match the analogy. Because God's, seeds remain in, God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. You can't go on sinning. If God has really changed your life, if you've really let God in, if you've really sacrificed your life to him, you can't go on sinning. The Holy Spirit has made you a new person. You have been born of God. In verse 10 it says, This is how we know who the children of God are. 
and who the children of the devil are. Seems to be no in-between, doesn't there? We talk about people being on a journey when we try and lead them into salvation, but actually there's got to be a decisive point where they accept the gospel and make a commitment to Christ, where they repent of their sins and move on into new life. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Some very practical righteousness there. But again, this verse is not saying that the way to be righteous is to do those things. We're talking about how to identify someone who is righteous. If you're righteous, if you say you're righteous, then you will do those things if, if you're not lying. So if you've got people who come into the church, and it does happen, who pretend to be Christians, it does happen. Sometimes the enemy leads people into the church who pretend to be Christians, to cause division, to cause disruption amongst the body of believers. You know them by their fruit. So it doesn't mean I've lost my salvation if, my sin, if I sin, because of what it says at the bottom of the screen there. Um, if you don't love your brother or sister, then you're not God's child. Well, sometimes it is hard to, hard to love certain people. Don't you think? Isn't, it, isn't that real? Is that, I mean, can we be real with each other? Even in the church, it's hard to love everybody. It's hard to feel, if you want, if you think of, especially if you think of love as a feeling, which you shouldn't, you might think, well, I find it very hard to love that person. But actually, God can give you a love for anybody. And, it, you know, the more you get to know them and, and if you start to pray for them, because you are a true Christian, you, you, you've got God's seed in you and you want to become um, the right, you, you want God's practical righteousness to work out of you, you'll pray for that person and you will love them. And you, love is a verb anyway. You just do stuff to show love. You practically show them loving actions and you are loving them by doing it. So anyway, that's a little bit off point, although it is on the screen about that thing about, you know, if I don't love my brother and sister, does that mean I'm not saved? No. And I put on the screen, read Romans 7. Paul, the, the writer, not of this chapter, but of, of a lot of what we've been looking at, talks in Romans 7 about, oh, what a wretched man I am. The thing I want to do, I don't do. The thing I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death that I'm living in? And then he goes into Romans 7 saying, thanks be to God for Jesus. Um, so we, yes, we do have the train crash now and then, but sin isn't habitual. And that's what practical righteousness should look like in the life of the ordinary believer. So righteous living is about, well, Jesus said in Matthew 7 that you'll know a prophet by his fruit. Some might, some might claim to be a prophet. In fact, someone claimed to be a prophet recently to Paul and myself and um, not that recently, but since I've been here, and I would say we would judge that person by their fruit. It's very strange to claim to come and say, I'm a prophet, anyway. Um, know them by their fruit, Jesus said. And in John 13, he said that people will know that we're his disciples by the fruit that we love one another. So we don't bear fruit or love one another in order to be true believers. We do these things because we are. So, final thought really is this idea of elevation. I just thought that perhaps sometimes when we think about doing good works, we kind of feel uh, that sometimes we're going to humble ourselves and um, we're going to be small and we're going to do 
good works and we're going to be the servant of all because if we want to be great in God's kingdom, we've got to be the servant of all. But I just had this thought that it was important to say that all that is true, but it is God's will that you are lifted up. He wants to raise you up. He loves you. And it says in James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And I just see this key point for me in righteous living in practical righteousness is this word humility is just looking out for other people above ourselves and it's so hard to do because we're just naturally selfish it's just the way we are as we humble ourselves before the Lord though and accept that he is God and we will be his servants and we will lay our lives on the altar for him he will in due course he will lift us up whether that's emotionally giving us a lift or just lifting us out of the miry clay, as it says in the Psalms, he will lift us up. So don't worry that if he calls you to do something righteous and it just feels like, wow, this is just a bit hard, you know, I'm having to give things up and all sorts of things, he will lift you up. And I I just wanted to read a final passage that illustrates how Jesus set the perfect example of this by living the perfect life. Then he was lifted up. And the same chapter is saying that this is how we should live and it finished with a few pointers on practical righteousness. And this is the last text and I'm done. In your relationships with one another, it says in Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, could have started earlier but I was trying to not read too much scripture, might get spiritual indigestion. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He's telling us that that's what we've got to be like amongst each other. This is practical righteousness. It's serving one another in love. This is what Jesus did. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We humble ourselves before the Lord. We humble ourselves amongst one another. We treat everybody else as if we are their servant and the Lord lifts us up. And it might just sound a little bit too much to draw the parallel between us and Jesus because Jesus died for our sins. He humbled himself to death on the cross. That's fine if it feels like too much because in a way it should because what he did is incredible and awesome. But I don't know if you remember, but the very first passage I read in Ephesians 2 talked about us being seated in the heavenly places with Christ. Not through our own merit, but through what Christ has done. As we humble ourselves and um, serve Jesus, serve one another, he will lift us up. And in due course, we will see him face to face. We will see him as he is and we will be in glory. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not 
only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. This is the same idea about us. We've got purposes that God has got bespoke purposes for us to do. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I didn't labour in vain. Look at those verses. Do you not believe that we still live in a warped and crooked generation? Some of the things we're praying about before. I just think, what would Paul say if he was here today? I mean, I know there was some shocking stuff going on in some of the cities that Paul will have visited and encountered. But also today, I don't think we're any better. But when we start to live out our righteousness that we have received by faith, when we start to live out that righteousness in practical ways, we shine like stars amongst the darkness around us. And that's what we've been praying for. We're praying that God would be able to witness to our, to our town and to our community through us, of all people, of all people through us, because of what he's done in us and what he's doing through us. And so practical righteousness, rightly so, leads right through into the gospel and leading others to Christ. They see us and they recognise us for our love for one another. They see us shining like stars in a warped and crooked dark generation. And, uh, and people should come to know Jesus through us just because we're living the lives that he's called us to live. So some practical steps are the same three points I ended with on Sunday. And um, so I won't talk, I didn't talk for long about them anyway then, but I, I just put up three words, word, prayer and fellowship. Just some practical steps. If you want to move forward in this area of just being practically righteous, you've given your life to Jesus, remain in the word and let his words remain in you. Read it, listen to it, listen to good podcasts that expound the word of God, journal daily, don't let the word of God, don't let a day go by without you've spent some time in the word. Pray, talk and listen to God. If you've got the gift of tongues, use it. If you haven't, receive it. It's yours for the taking. And finally, fellowship. Don't fall out of fellowship, which is why you're here tonight. And it's awesome to see so many people. So stay in close connection. And there's the old um, example of the log in the fire that falls out, goes out very quickly, but the log that stays in the fire stays alight. And that's what we're like. We've got to stay in fellowship. Let's not give up being together and if we do those things if we're daily reading the bible praying every day and, and also as, as far as possible staying in fellowship with other people we won't go far wrong in moving forward into practical righteousness next time we'll talk about how what we've said today and what we said last time leads to our final idea of a guarded heart we've been putting on the breastplate by doing these things and then our hearts are guarded and the bible says to guard your heart above all else so i hope you're able to join me then and that will wrap up this series and we will be done thanks for listening 
For more information, visit Brixham.Church.